Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big jab there from Duffy and Brett Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy O'Connor. Frank Mir does it again. Rock him, sock him, robots here. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bull**** artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. And this man right here, my father, has worked harder than anybody, so this belt is dedicated to my father. Here the son now. Come to daddy. Pay-per-view recap on the Anik and Florian podcast, Monday, November 13th, 2023, episode 449. Of the Anakin Florian podcast presented by DraftKings. So the reason Kenny's name is not first on the show is because my last name begins A-N, and that's the same way that the word and begins. So it would be the Florian and Anik podcast, and it just doesn't sound as good. But as some of our day oneers know, Kevin Ioli from Yahoo, the great longtime combat sports journalist, was on episode three, I think. Yeah. Maybe even episode one, but I think it was episode three back in 2015. I'm not mistaken. And we welcomed him in and he wondered aloud as to why Kenny's name was not first as a uh, at that point in time, three time UFC world title challenger. And it really is because the word and and Anik don't jive all that well together. But great to be back with you. Nothing quite like a week on the Anakin Florian podcast in which we recap a UFC pay-per-view of which there are like 14 nowadays per year, which is very exciting. I'm in my son's bedroom, Ken Flo. We have an electrician here. We have our studio guy from uh, Media Zone, Mike Jones, in the building. Mike Shout out, Mike Jones. Jones, if you can hear me through these thin, cheap walls here. You probably got thick walls in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> hey, can I tell the listeners? It's good to see you, by the way. It's great to see you, too, man. So can I tell people who you ran into in your neighborhood the other day, or do you want me to hold that back? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell. I'm doing oh, yeah, go it. Ahead, I'm go doing ahead. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking doing it. So Greg Olson, longtime Carolina Panthers tight end, 
and Fox's number one NFL analyst, I guess, until Tom Brady is part of the number right, one right, right. next year contractually. But Greg Olson lives in your neighborhood. I know, dude. We, we need another commentator. We need another famous commentator. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to try to recruit you. Yeah. Actually, Jonathan Stewart uh, of the Carolina Panthers, at least late of the Carolina Panthers, yes. lived in that neighborhood where Ken Flo is as well, did. as did their former head coach, Ron Rivera. If you're really curious, you know. Uh, <laughs> Look at this guy does his research. You oh, go wait. anywhere near Ken Flo, though, he may shoot you on sight. So just be careful, <laughs> everybody. So, uh, so how's it going with Argus Integrated Defense, by the way? Good? It's going yeah. good. It's going good, man. Good. I'm uh, looking forward to 2024. Got some things planned. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot to talk about, man. I mean, the, what a card. So many, so many knockouts. Uh, and, and, and you survived it. You survived yeah. New York. Well, what's nice, too, about these pay-per-views nowadays, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we don't necessarily have to go the full three hours, right? right. So when you get a lot of finishes, we just keep it moving. And uh, nothing like seeing Dana White pick up that phone and uh, call the truck and say, KIM, keep it moving. So, yeah, uh, we have a lot to get into as we re- recap UFC 295. Part of the reason I brought up, brought up Greg Olson is because he does have a resemblance in sound as an analyst to one of our guests today, the greatest living American, former WEC light heavyweight champion, Brian Stant. Now, I don't know if you've heard Greg Olson in commentary, Ken Flo. You yeah. might have and not I known have. it was him at the time. But there's an undeniable resemblance in terms of the way those gentlemen sound. So we will very excitedly talk to Brian Stan here coming up uh, in about 40 minutes. We will yeah. talk to Ray Longo, uh, unfortunately, unable to uh, to get a win at Madison Square Garden over the weekend. But we will still have Ray on the program, of course, coming up here in about 10 minutes. I was able to go into the locker room and see those guys beforehand. So I think that was the problem. So uh, you ruined it. You ruined uh, the and, and, and jinx the whole thing. And I was just about to say right there, jinx the whole effing thing. Just so you people know, that's me censoring myself. Okay, so I can very easily censor myself and not use the f word the rest of of the recap if that is what people so choose. My mother just was watching Annex Squared, the NFL podcast I do with my brother the other day, and she was like, "Yeah, pretty good NFL content. You guys are hitting the board pretty well." But my goodness. Ver, your worst verbal crutch, both of you, is the F, F word. Can you please stop using it? So <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right. Let us dive in to UFC 295 and our main event, Light Heavyweight Championship. Alex Pineda trying to become the ninth two-division champion in UFC history. He accomplishes that feat. Gets Yuri Prohaska out of there by TKO round two. Ken Flo. Amazing big picture stuff on Poatan, Alex Pereira. Amazing how thoughtful an individual he is. Amazing how big his fan base is. But most remarkable, of course, 10 UFC fights coming in. And uh, here he is, you know, in seven UFC fights or so, becoming a two-division champion and uh, stamping his ticket to the Hall of Fame. No question about it, man. I mean, when you hear your rival, right, uh, someone like Israel Adesanya say – that he is special. That means something, okay? Uh, it's not like Izzy and Poetan are great friends, uh, you know, and the fact that he respects Pereira and sees him as special says a lot to me. And I think what makes him special is the fact that he could put your lights out with that left hook at any time. He doesn't have to make a big swing. All he needs to do is just connect. He just needs to touch you, and you will go down. Um, it, it's an unusual kind of power. The guy just has that look like he's made out of steel. Even if you're able to kind of take him down and control him, he kind of has that feel that 
it always seems like he's like wiry and controlling you, you know, even if you're kind of, even if you kind of have the upper hand on him. So I, I think he's been blessed with great power. The fact that he was able to do this coming off of a professional kickboxing career is also extremely rare. Um, and yeah, I mean, th- there's there's not a whole lot more to say. This is a guy that is a two division champion now. I think the first one to win it in the middleweight and light heavyweight division, something yeah. that even Israel Adesanya wasn't able to accomplish. So I think he's in the right division now. I think his chin is holding up. He's looking phenomenal. I think this is a good matchup for him. And uh, Yuri is an extremely dangerous guy. He had to fight out of some tough positions on the ground and on the feet. He's very awkward and unorthodox. But it was Alex, Alex Pereira who was able to get it done. So oftentimes I talk about these fighter meetings and a fighter just dropping their hands on the table and I look to see their hand size. And I remember remarking that Leon Edwards has huge hands. Maybe we should start measuring it the way the NFL does for these incoming prospects. And I'd imagine there are other leagues that would do that as well. Certainly it would make sense for the NBA and the ability to palm a basketball. But, dude, Alex Pereira's mitts are absolutely enormous. So I'd imagine, yeah, if he hits you in the right place with the right technique, it's a real problem. I think I most marvel at his leg kicks and his ability to make that a factor so quickly in fights. And Mm. it's almost as just as though he looks at the first five minutes as, you know, I'm going to have to maybe do some defensive grappling and control some posture and maybe navigate some of those situations. I'm certainly going to. I mean, I think he calf kicks like if there's a dog or a wife in a bed, right? Just in the middle of the night, he's just fucking calf kicking up. There goes the F-bomb. But calf kicks, just an amazing ability to just touch you so quickly and immediately made that a factor in the fight. And at the very least had Yuri Prohaska thinking early. No question about it, man. Uh, had him thinking and had him hurt early as well. Anytime you're able to get rid of something that is a stabilizer to the ground, you do a lot. Okay. first of all, you're not able to create the same amount of power. If I am not stabilizing to the ground with my feet, I effectively cannot create the same amount of power. I am going to lose balance. If I can't push off the ground, if I can't stabilize to the ground, uh, um, I really can't do a whole lot from an athletic perspective. Um, It also is extremely painful. So every time you take a step forward, it hurts. Your mobility is compromised. Um, Your ability to hit takedowns, your ability to then block even more. Um, Then you have to lean on to the other leg that much more. You have to switch your stance, which is something you're not comfortable. So there's a lot going on when you're able to do that. And Pereira is an absolute master of the calf kick. There is no tell to what he's doing. Um, And again, I say this a lot. It really wasn't as common of a technique when I was fighting. Um, and it, it really adds a completely different wrinkle. Your stance has to be adjusted. And for anyone who is going to face someone like Pereira in the future, you have to prepare for that. You cannot be leaning too far forward on that lead leg. Your head probably shouldn't be far forward over your lead leg anyway. Yeah. But if you are doing that, Pereira is going to take it off. I would imagine Argus Integrated Defense should be teaching these calf kicks as well. Not necessarily as valuable maybe in the street, but you got to shoe off in times, take away that lead leg. Oh. There's a lot of Yuri Prohaska stuff that time permitting we will get into, but we only have a few minutes more here before Ray Longo uh, makes this a three-man conversation. So for Alex Pedeta, there are going to be stiffer grappling challenges, I would imagine, potentially. 
And a lot of people expected that Yuri Prohaska would try to grapple given this matchup. Um, But overall, do you look at Alex Pineda as the best light heavyweight in the world? Chael Sonnen said, I I picked Alex Pineda. I'm still not sure if he's a better fighter overall than Yuri Prohaska, who may have more ways to win. But how much staying power do you think he has at 205 pounds? Not necessarily versus at 185 pounds, but... When you look at this division, um, how long can Alex Pereira be the man with guys like Jamal Hill and everybody else cannonball come? Yeah, I'm not so sure just because obviously if we're looking at Pereira, he does have that weakness on the ground. He is not a submission threat, certainly. Um, he's not a guy who is the best takedown. Um, you know, He's not the best at defending takedowns necessarily, um, but he is pretty good at getting back to his feet and he does know how to keep proper range on the feet to at least make it a little bit more difficult for you to get into the range to hit those takedowns. So um, I don't know. It's tough. I, I think Jamal would be an interesting fight for him. No question about that. I think he is a cleaner boxer, perhaps the cleanest boxer that he would have faced up to that point. So I think that makes it interesting. I also think Jamal might be able to switch things up and put Pereira on his back and maybe take it a little bit more advantage there. So it's tough to say. I think if he gets by Jamal, um, you know, he may retire with the belt. Who knows? I, I don't know how long he wants to continue fighting. Um, I certainly haven't seen a huge drop off in his game at this stage of the game. Um, I thought his chin was holding up very well against a lot of those huge shots from Prohaska. So I'm um, not really worried on that end um but uh he's making good money now uh oh. thankfully uh and, and deserve well deservedly so so i, I don't know man I, I think that's a division that um you know kind of i guess in the last since john jones left i think we'll, we've seen a lot of rotation i think we will continue to see a lot of rotation just because i don't know it, it's a little chaotic there with some of the guys uh, at the top of the 205 pound division i do see vulnerabilities there as opposed to 155 which is just stacked with killers 170 stacked with killers yeah. 45 stacked with killers so i don't know it's amazing how much money alex Pereira is going to make if he can sustain this excellence yeah. until say 39 40 years of age because he is 36 and uh you know i'm not sure that he wants to stick around forever as far as all this is concerned Right. And I found it interesting and it's smart. This is another guy who's very intelligent. He knows what's going to bring in the bacon. And it's the fight against Israel Adesanya. And of course, he's not going to fight him at 185. He's yeah. going, no, no, come come to daddy. Come to 205 pounds. Let's do it here where my chin is going to be tougher. I don't have yeah. to do this insane weight cut. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Israel Adesanya with that name is going to bring in a ton of pay-per-view buys for him. So he knows that's what's going to bring the most amount of money uh, calling him out. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Certainly not in the near future, but, uh, again, he is thinking about that stuff. No. And that's what was at the heart of his post fight speech. And the merchandise is already available, right? Come to daddy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've said of the past and Ray Longo is here, so we're going to get to him, but I've said in the past, Davis and Figueredo, so much of his genius is sort of lost in translation because he speaks Brazilian Portuguese and not English. But if you read the subtitles as to what Alex Pereira is saying, he very thoughtfully, as usual, lays everything out in terms of why he wants the Adesanya fight for the people who didn't know he laid out the whole history of their relationship. So right. I have so much respect for Alex Pineda. As I said on the post-fight show, showing up to our fighter meetings, every single one, all seven fighter meetings, not a single thoughtless answer. Not a single thoughtless answer. Yeah. And gosh, I can't say that about 95% of the athletes. All right, speaking of guys who is always thoughtful, 
of a guy who is always thoughtful. Uh, let's get to the Ray Longo minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Hey. Boo. Yeah. Oh, man. Cluster fuck at the OK Corral. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was Ray Longo wrong, does not want your UFC 295 poster hanging up in his gym. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Master, I got to put Master Square Garden on the band list, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I am never going back there again. I thought Frivola <laughs> broke the curse, but back in. So the UFC continuing its record run at Madison Square Garden, the top three all-time gates, Crazy. right? This includes concerts, wow. right? Kenny, the top three all-time gates in the history of Madison Square Garden. Number one, UFC 205, Alvarez versus McGregor, November 2016, almost 18 million, right? Number two now, Prohaska versus Pereira Saturday. Wow, wow. 12 really? million. And number three last year, over $11.5 million. So – Yes, I work for the company, right? But this is Madison Square Garden. Yes, the New York Knickerbockers have been forgettable for a quarter of a century. And perhaps if there were some NBA Finals games <laughs> at Madison Square Garden, those numbers would be different. But uh, the hottest ticket in 2023, or any year really right now, but no, but the hottest ticket in 2023 is a UFC live event. But yeah, Raymond, let's get into your guys, and uh, and then we'll get into all of the stuff that we were talking about. But uh We'll start with the biggest fight you had, and unfortunately, uh, Matt Frivola ran into uh, a man on a seek-and-destroy mission in Benoit Saint-Denis, and uh, thankfully lived to tell about it. What the fuck is that noise? Is somebody typing right now? Man, oh, I, hear, I, I hear nothing. You hear noise right now? I was Kenny hearing a little clicking. Noise. Yeah, Kenny hears the goddamn noise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's gone, Ray. I'm not blaming you, buddy. I'm seriously oh, yeah, no, not no, blaming no. you. No, no, that's all right. No, no, wait. Not, like, no, I... <laughs> Sorry, I know you think I'm you and the Minutemen think I'm blaming no, you. No, no, I'm not. Going. Please stop. I mean, maybe, should I take out the headphones and try that? No, it's perfect. <laughs> no, you're that. good. You're good. You're it's good. Sure. Where are we? Oh, ben, Benoit Saint Benoit. Hats off to uh, Benoit. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know the whole camp. Kenny, we got Frivola circling away from the power, circling right into the kick. So a uh, right. bad mistake, my hat. I feel bad for him. Uh, I thought that fight was heating up the way everybody thought it was. Yeah. It started out great, back and forth, the scrambles. He takes him down after that other scramble. The crowd's going crazy. But uh, that's one of those examples when you zig when you should have zagged. And uh, that's what happens, man. I mean, you can't. It kind of reminded me of, like, Dominic Cruz and Cheeto Vary just circles right into the kick, like. Like the great Mr. Miyagi said, look yes. a eye, always look a eye. I felt like he did. He looked away from him, Ray. So I don't think yeah. he expected it. You know, well, you always have to keep your eyes on that damn guy that's in front of you. And I felt like he kind of looked away. Yeah. And because of that, maybe wasn't ready for the kick. Do you, do you think that's what happened? Or I mean, only he knows. But that's what I think happened. Yeah, I think he, yeah. he, he exited and didn't think anything could happen. And he right. took his eyes off him and he ran into that kick, man. And the, But the, the, the problem I have, on, honestly, it was just that we knew the guy had a great left kick. Like, that's what we were trying to avoid from the stand-up, right? He's going to use the kick, and then he throws the punch and the takedown, the whole thing. So he had that all down. I just, I guess in the heat of the moment, just, you know, if you're going to exit into the power, you got to be waiting for that power to come to right. counter it. I mean, there's guys that could do it. Like, they can move the wrong way because they know what's coming and they, they're they set up for it. But uh, 
it is what it is. Unfortunate, you know, but hats off to him. He took advantage of a mistake, and uh, that's that's what the game's all about. So, uh, you know, uh, Frivola will regroup. You know, le- even when I made him box, it was all about awareness, not running, like, yeah. not seeing everything. So this we kind of, you know, it's back to that now with the kicks. But, uh, like, you know, Are he you just, intimating he just a little – a little regression there is that what you're in terms of that uh, for that for that part you know there's uh yeah kind of i gotta I, you know i haven't even talked to him yet but yeah. uh i mean it's it's obviously i think it was just a mental lapse and, and he paid the ultimate yeah. price for it but I, up until that point i thought we had ourselves the exact fight we thought we were going to get you know what i mean i think that was going to turn out to be a crazy back and forth fight and uh i had you know my head i had matt winning that fight man so I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, I also have merchandise for Sal the Bulldozer Frivola and Matt Frivola in yeah. my bedroom right now. But I have a lot of thoughts on Benoit Saint-Denis. And I had a lot of thoughts going into this fight. And in the nature of transparency, I'm just going to yeah. share some of those. Yeah, you guys ran into the kick. But you know what you also ran into is a special forces operative and just an absolute savage who is 27 years old. And in my mind, one of the best lightweights in the world right now. There aren't that many lightweights. Kenny, that I would favor to beat Benoit Saint-Denis. And I'm not suggestive of the notion that you guys shouldn't have taken the fight, even though myriad lightweights turned this man down in Paris, France. But I can tell you that Sean Shelby texted me, Benoit Saint-Denis didn't want to fight New York, right? This guy's invested in training, right? He just fought in September in Paris, Kenny, right? He wants more developmental time. He didn't think he was going to be ready. And man, did he maximize the Madison Square Garden showcase. Turned us down on the Anakin Florian podcast in front of the fight. He might join us later in the week on Thursday. Um... But, Kenny, big picture, like, yes, and you're right, Ray. Absolutely, Matt Frivola fought well. Like, I'm excited about Matt Frivola going forward. Like, he fought well in this fight. He was winning portions of this fight. Kenny, I just think he ran into a buzzsaw, and I think this is a loss that's really going to age gracefully for Matt Frivola because I'm chips in the center of the table on Benoit seek and destroy Saint-Denis. Yeah, listen, I think Saint-Denis is uh, a guy that is extremely tough, uh, conditioning-wise, pressure-wise. Um, you know, as far as, you know, quitting or, or taking his foot off the gas pedal, that's just not going to happen. Um, I, I think, you know, it is, it is the toughest division in the UFC. I think that him beating someone like Frivola says a lot, but to me and, and Ray, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I didn't see Matt get quite settled in that fight. I don't Without know if he was able to settle down and allow his skills to kind of go out there. He seemed a little like jittery there. I didn't, yep. I, don't, I don't think he had the opportunity to kind of like settle take that down. deep yeah, breath. Yeah. Like, okay, all right, let's just do what I'm doing in the gym. Does that, does that make what, sense? 100, Kenny, 100% right. Cause okay. he's got great, he's, you know, he can wrestle. He got good jujitsu. I thought he got frantic on top. That's why he got swept. You know, like I said, but mm-hmm. all we needed was some control time down there, catch your breath, settled into the fight and i think yeah. we got a different fight but it was you know um he just got you i think you're right it was like a franticness that that's always going to lead to a, a lapse in your in your judgment somewhere right you can't you can't train like that you know what i mean yeah. so i'm agree i agree with you 100 i thought you know uh i i, I thought he could have settled in with his jujitsu he definitely has it uh, and that's not the way he spars. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a learning experience. We'll see. We, you know, he'll he'll bounce back from. I'm sure. But you know, even Nas, I think, got uh, in his fight. It was 
He got a little frantic when he was on top instead of just getting the position yep. first and picking a way to hammer him. So right. those are two things that both of those guys have to go back and go in. Like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Nas's fight too, but uh, but I no, thought even even him, even he was a little frantic on top. He was rushing to the mount. Yeah. Even I had Aljo scream, you don't have to go to the mount. The guy's already, like, right. beat up. Like, it's not – I think sometimes it's so conditioned to get to the mount. Like, almost what we were saying – Last week with uh, the fight where the guy couldn't finish him in the mount, that's the pinnacle position. I got to get there. And then that guy did nothing with it. But I think that was part of the problem, too. But, you know, a, a couple of things to go back to the to drawing board and fix. But, uh, like, again, it wasn't like he was getting out for it in the fight, getting back to Frivola. He, he just – that's a, an example. He just made a mistake, and he paid for it. You know what I mean? And, the, like, again, I think that franticness – carried over to the way he was moving after yeah. that when they, you know and he just yeah it's it's it's, so it's, Matt Frivola, it's ben what was that so Matt Frivola Benoit Santini fight 10 times and Sal's one of our great listeners right his dad's gonna hear this but those guys fight 10 times you think it's 50 50 like you like that matchup for your guy like you think you think Benoit Santini right now is an easy fight for the champion Islam Akashev you know like I don't know. Am I overstating it? I think, like, I hey, think, I'm just no, no, a fan. No, right? no, no. Like, the guy, look, we talked about it when he beat Moises that time. We were all high on yeah. Benoit. Remember, that's right. Yeah. Even when we got the call for Benoit, I go, man, we just got done gassing him up. You know what I mean? So, uh, it, no, it, but for Islam, I don't think that's a good fight for Benoit right now. He did, I'm, that's, that's not at all. What, that's different than just suggesting that it's an easy night at the office. Like, no, there. I mean, you know, I'm not even suggesting there's any lightweight that is an easy night at the office. Right, for right, Islam. right. I'm just saying I'm bullish on Benoit. Yeah, 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 how yeah. quickly they progress him. I thought his call-outs of Justin Gaethje and, uh, and Dustin Poirier were a little bit ambitious, but he's so thoughtful that – he even gave you Mataj Gamrod if you think the other two callouts are a little bit too ambitious. But no, I, I like Matt Frivola. I yeah, do believe yeah. him as a top 15 lightweight, as an elite lightweight moving forward. I thought there were definitely pockets of this fight that uh, that you can argue were really good for Matt. Yeah. Uh, his next fight's going to be absolutely critical. Well, yeah, and yeah, I also think, you know, I, and I, I didn't mean to take away credit from Benoit Saint-Denis, but yeah, you know, no. he also is bringing that chaos. That's what he brings every single time he fights. It's a totally different fight, right, if you're fighting someone who's trying to outpoint you, right, who's trying to out-athlete you, as opposed to a guy who is with every shot and everything he does during a round. He's trying to finish you. That's the way he fights. He's bringing a fight to you, and he's not there to screw around. He's not there to win rounds. He's out there to to defeat you, right, by his right. own hands. But there's knockout or submission. Like, that's that's his style, and that's never an easy guy to fight. No question. Yeah, look, me mentality-wise, he's ready for anything. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, can he match it with his physicality yeah. Yeah. and his technique? But mentally, it is. You throw him in anywhere tomorrow. I mean, that's yeah. part of what he does. And he's young enough to make a shitload of adjustments. Yeah. I mean, he's a young kid, right? He's not even that old. And when you get a kid who comes in and uh, he sort of said in a very humble way, he's like, there haven't been any United States Navy SEALs who have, have fought in the octagon, right, John? Yeah, no, no. no. Yeah. We have about the most decorated United States military member coming on the program. Yes, yeah, don't you minutes. insult the United States military before that man gets on the show. Jim. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm doing, but it's just to let people know that this is a special forces operative and a man on a military level unseen prior 
in the world famous octagon. Those are just the facts. And when you see a kid come into the fighter meeting and say, yeah, I'm spending all this money on training and spending money on wrestling. Uh, he's certainly not getting any worse. I would kindly suggest to the rest of the lightweight division, you might as well try to get Benoit Santini now before he gets yes. any. Better. That would be. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And in terms of Nazim Sadikov, I just hope he understands just how, how there for the taking that fight was in round three. That was his W. I mean, you got the bonus great fight of the night. Um, but, you know, I think that's a guy, you know, respectfully that he should be. Oh, without a doubt. And, uh, I mean, uh, if you're asking me, like in the third, going into the third round, I thought that other guy had no chance. So it's, uh, right. you know, I think, you know, like I talked to Nas, you know, he's, you know, he's very upbeat. You know, I think he he, he felt like, you know, like it's Madison Square Garden. I want to put on a show. I wanted my Michael Chandler Gaethje moment. He got it. You know yeah. what I mean? So, you know, in his head, I, he'll move forward. There's no question about yeah. it. I think he got that out of his system. Yeah. Uh, but And I, the kid, he had a great dance partner. I mean, the kid was tough. They yeah. both were tough. I mean, it was a – look, that's why people love to fight. That's why he got the bonus, you know. But uh, I, how he – doesn't you know I, I don't know what happened in the third round but he was having yeah. a he, he, he I think it was he was having too much fun he really yeah had a great time that all makes you sense know. no no no, it, no if you talk to him he'll you know it's not going to take you long to he'll convince you like that he just had a great time you know so uh those are things that you could I think correct you know what I mean like because I, I I want the W but he got the bonus, so when he said it is a W, yeah. he, he loved the fight. The guy's dancing with him afterwards, you know. I'm not saying it's technically no, like yeah. thing, but, All good. You know. I think there's value in that and having his MSG moment, and he didn't lose the fight, certainly. Right. So I can get behind all of that. I think it's very interesting to see what they do with him going forward. I wonder if uh, – oh. go ahead. I Ray. think I think he's a company guy. I think they love him. That's why they gave him the bonus. I, I think they – you know, yeah. I see. I think they see the value in that kid for sure. And that yeah, fight, no, I'm intrigued. I, I was just going to yeah. say as to uh, who they give him next. Maybe you give him Jared Gordon, little New York on New York crime. Uh, yeah. we love Jared Gordon. No, don't don't do right. that. I want the yeah, New Yorkers. Jared's a good, do good, good guy. No, no, I'm just saying. I don't want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bad, yeah, yeah. Bad enough fighting in New York. I don't want to fight another All right. New Yorker. All right. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture. Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt-sip smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. All right, we have so much more to get into. Uh, I got to get your thoughts collectively on Tom Aspinall. I'll lead with Ken Flo here. Next level UFC heavyweight, new breed of UFC heavyweight, throw out your trite cliche, whatever it is, he's the UFC's interim heavyweight champion. And as I said on the broadcast, Kenny, a lot of people felt like it was an eventuality, even if not on this night with no training camp. At some point in time, Tom, As- Tom Aspinall was going to become a UFC heavyweight champion. And uh, we congratulate Tom. Ken Flo, your thoughts on this fight, all of uh, all of one minute and nine seconds. Yeah, and the great news about it, John, is that he still – 
has so much more to learn and improve on. Like uh, from an athletic perspective, he's an unusual heavyweight. He moves like an absolute cat. This is a giant cat that knows how to move his feet. <laughs> he knows how to counter. Uh, man, I, and he did it against another guy in Pavlovich who is extremely dangerous. You know, it's one thing to go, oh, I'm going to move my feet. I'm going to counter him. But very few have been able to do that against Pavlovich. And to make matters worse, Aspinall can get you on the ground as well. He's good everywhere, man. This is this is a new breed of heavyweight. There's no question about it. I still think he's got to hide that chin a little bit more, move that head a little bit more. And if he does that, uh, he's going to have that belt until he damn retires. Like, that's how good he is. That's how much potential he is. Um, he's a rarity in this sport. Um, and I, that's about as good as it gets in a main event. Getting the finish like that against a very scary guy. Uh, Aspinall is going to be a very huge star if he continues with that. How forged is this Andy Aspinall to just not cry buckets of tears? You've been at every training session for your son from the time he's eight years old until he realizes a UFC world title at 30 years of age. My, if, if my kid ever scores a goal, I'm going to be the laughing stock of the soccer pitch. <laughs> so this father-son connection, Kenny, and to see them and Ray realize this together, just a really special moment for a really special athlete, Ray. Pretty cool to see that I all. I have chills play. thinking about that, what you just said. I mean, that's yeah, unbelievable. I mean, those stories are always great, you know what I mean? But well, I, tell you, I was totally wrong on that. I thought that fight was going to be the complete opposite. I thought mm. that's what Pavlovich was going to do to him. I, I just think coming in from another country, taking a short nose, hats off to him for that. I think that's a challenge in itself, and he just went right through it. And then to hear that he even had a back problem, uh, I, I think it makes him more special. So, uh, yeah, don't ever count on me for anything with that. I, I really thought that was a big advantage to Sergey having the you know, fact that he was getting ready to be the backup guy. So, Well, it very well has been, right? Yeah, I mean, Tom Aspinall said going into the Aspinall said going into the Curtis Blades fight, Kenny, that he had been realizing success essentially for years on one leg, and that was really a blessing to get that knee right. And look at the way he's come out the other side and taking out Marcin Tabora, and then even more violently here, uh, Sergey Pavlovich. So we congratulate Tom Aspinall, the UFC's interim heavyweight champion. Unbelievable. And. Kenny, real quick, you know, Michael Bisping, as I said all week, was not putting Tom Aspinall over and suggesting he will go down as the greatest MMA heavyweight of all time because they're boys or because they're both from England. He's doing it because of what the film tells him. And, you know, the film makes me want to lean into a lot of those superlatives. So I'm just curious, I guess, how good this guy can be and how you would handicap a fight between him and John Jones. Gosh, I, listen, I think he's the only guy in that heavyweight division at the moment who can match the athleticism of someone like John Jones. Um, he is a mountain of a man. Um, he he moves. He moves like a lightweight. Uh, I think he's got better submission skills on the ground than John Jones. Um, I, I think wrestling might be an issue a little bit, right? Off his back, he might have some issues. But as far as his striking his ability to put you out with one shot, he's got greater knockout, greater knockout ability, in my opinion, than John Jones at the moment. Um, so, yeah, if this guy stays healthy, John, 
good luck to anybody trying to yeah. unseat him. It's gonna, it's going to be very, very difficult. I could see him holding on to that belt for a long time. And man, uh, he is special. There's no question about it. He is enormous. So Sergey Pavlovich had half a foot in reach. Six inches in reach. Pavlovich, 84 wow. inches. Tom Aspinall, 78 inches. But Tom Aspinall's the taller man. Well, like DC and I both have 72-inch reaches, but you know how that fight would go, right? right? Like, <laughs> I happen to have long arms, I guess. <laughs> but, dude, like Tom Aspinall, every time I'm around him or Daniel's around him, we just remark at how, at how big an individual he really is. He's huge, thick. Yeah. And he wasn't even in camp, man. Wasn't even in camp. Yeah, that that's that fascinates me, man. I really does. So, uh, like again, hats off to Aspinall again for that size and that agility and that quickness. I think he he's he's opening up as the favorite against John Jones for sure. I I'd like to see him take one more fight too because he's just going to get better and better. So know? it's really interesting you talk about the betting line and perhaps. Cody can chase one for us on DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm not sure that uh, Johnny Avello and those guys have pushed out a line on John Jones and Tom Aspinall. I don't believe Tom Aspinall would open at the favorite, but there's a lot of thought behind what you just said because I think that if there was a plus number next to Tom Aspinall's name, however big, that uh, a lot of people would want to want to hit that number, so to speak, on the 30-year-old that is much maybe – closer to his fighting prime. Not that John Jones can't fight at a prime level, but he's not stacking training camps at this stage of his career. So, um, Ray, I wanted to get a few thoughts from you on Alex Pededa, if I could, and then a few thoughts on Dennis Bazookia before we let you get on out of here. But what Alex Pededa has accomplished in a short amount of time is nothing short of extraordinary. And, uh, you know, perhaps a lesson to uh, to all of us out there to uh, touch our top lip to our bottom lip and not talk shit because had Adesanya kept quiet and not unleashed this beast, uh, then maybe things would be a little bit different. But Alex Pededa, man, incredible win over Yuri Prohaska. And uh, we got a new UFC light heavyweight champion. And the road to 205-pound gold goes through <laughs> Danbury, Connecticut, USA once again. <laughs> Look, I love everything about Alex Pereira. I really do. I'd like to, to even – Alex, the I haven't there. heard. You know, I've heard this man's oh. name mispronounced every which way. I've never heard Alex. What is it? Alex. 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 Alex or Alex. Just not Alex. Okay. No. He's AP for the rest of the show for me. But AP. <laughs> Training up in Danbury. They got a nice little gym up there with Love Texas. You got a lot. I love the whole I love the whole small camp thing. I love the whole connection with Glover Texera. You could see the the love they have for each other and how they pull for each other. I love the, the get up, the headdress, the bow and arrow thing. I I just like the I just like his whole stick and love the power regenerates from a short distance. The guy's he's intriguing, man. I think yeah. and I think almost the less he says, the better it is for him because he's got that when he's got the war paint on, man, that's good. That was a great matchup because you had the other guy with the samurai thing and these are guys that they're not just they, – there were guys that go to the weigh-in, Kenny, and they just make up a costume, a different one every time. Right. These two yeah. guys literally believe in what the hell they were doing. Up, You know what I mean? The the samurai against the whatever, the, the guy from the uh, – <laughs> from the rainforest. I don't know where he's coming from, but hey, you know John. what I'm saying? Like it's, I, I love it. I mean, I love the whole thing and it was, it, it wasn't bullshit. You know what I mean? It wasn't, this guy's not just painting his face and saying, Oh, I, I think this looks good. How cool is this going to be? No, this guy's yeah. Yeah. Whatever that's supposed to mean, <laughs> it means to him. So I, I love, I love everything. I love 
those guys look, they're great guys. Yeah, I'd love to Glover Texera. I think he's one of the nicest guys in MMA. Mm -hmm. Uh and I'm 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 happy for him as well as I am for AP. Yeah. Hey John, why aren't you correcting Rogan and, and, and uh Cormier when they're when they're saying Pajeda? I got so much <laughs> to read, Ken Flog. I'm just reading commercials on a Saturday. I'm not, I'm not a genius, Kenny, but I think it's because he's within striking distance. Of <laughs> that, that's a good point. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if there's a thoughtful way to put this, but, you know, your night begins with this Dennis Pazuki fight against Jamal Emmers, and 49 seconds into the fight, the fight's over. So I don't know uh, – what the jumping off point is, but certainly yeah. a disappointing way to begin the night for you guys in DB. It's a horrible way to start the night. Look, man, as I'm going to say, everybody had great training camps. Everybody, you were, if you were in the dressing room, everybody looked absolutely fantastic. But sometimes you do everything right and everything goes wrong. Sometimes you do everything wrong and it goes right, almost like an Aspinall thing. You didn't even have a yeah. training camp and he looked right. like a world beater. So. Man, I, I don't know. I got to go back to that. You know, I talked to Dennis yesterday. Uh, it's hard to even sum up anything from that. I yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe the nerves, the big stage. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. There wasn't much that really happy. Just said he didn't see the punch coming, and and that kid can box, man. So it's 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 confusing to me, to be honest Ray, with you. But Ray, I he know is there's good. a. I know there's a lot that goes on, you know, between a, a good performance, a bad performance, very, very nuanced thing. I fought like dog poop in Boston. Do you, how, how much of it do you think has to do with fighting in, in, in your hometown? <laughs> Kenny, I'm starting to think everything. <laughs> I'm not that guy, but holy crap. I don't know. I, I felt very mad that I feel good going into that, uh, to that night. I really did. I had three guys that really, they put the time in after the first fight, after Nazis fight, God, they're, they're trying to fucking kill me. They're trying to actually give me a heart attack tonight. Man. Yeah. And my yeah. legs feeling yeah. good. I feel great, but I go, yeah. it's going to be, they're going to, they're going to fucking kill me tonight. You know? So <laughs> I don't know. I just, I look, I'm there for those guys, you know, we're going to regroup and do what we have to do, but yeah. I, I don't even know what to say about Bazooka's fight. It was, you know, if anything, I just thought he he waited too much. You know what I mean? He he in sparring, he comes out very aggressive. Even in, you know, even in a mid session, he comes out, he's on fire. I I, I just think you got to fight the way you've been training, and I think he waited, waited, waited a little too much, trying to get a read on the guy, and it was too late. But like again, these are questions you gotta only they know what's going on. Yeah, but as far course. as New York, I think at this point, I gotta think it means. I don't know. I, I I don't even know what to say. All right, last thing, Ray. We got about sixty seconds before we uh, bring on Brian Stan here. But most often, the UFC tries to work in a meritocracy. But sometimes you have a circumstance that gets in the way of the rightful number one contender getting a championship opportunity. In this case, as such, it was announced since we were last on the air. Marlon Cheeto Vera will fight Sugar Sean O'Malley. For the UFC Bantamweight Championship, that will be in March. I think a lot of us were expectant that they were going to try to bleed this a little bit. It wasn't going to be December nor January. Uh, but it seems like maybe Marab Dwalish, Willie, your guy, the number one contender, could be in line to fight Henry Cejudo. Any thoughts for us on uh, the 35-pounders before we let you fly? Uh, in regards to what? 
in regards to uh, if Marab's going to fight Henry or any thoughts on everything that I just laid no, out? I mean, you want to punch it, me in it, the face? I mean, you can punch no, me in the no, face. No, 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 definitely not. What the heck's the matter with you? No, no, definitely no. Marab looks like he's going to fight Henry Cejudo. Hopefully okay. on the same card as uh, Cheeto and Sugar, wow. I think, would make sense. So I that think should be the push. That should be the that push. That should be the push, right? And uh, look, meritocracy, look, Marab deserves that fight. There's no question about it. Or Aljo gets a rematch, so that's out the window. But, look, Cheeto's a great guy. Look, Perillo, hats off to him. He got the fight. But uh, do I think Marab deserved the fight 100%? But, you know, Marab's at a point now where, uh, you know, if he's got to fight Henry, he's going to fight whoever he has to fight. You know what I mean? Hey, he might be on be standby, in... too, Ray. You never know. If and he injury. might be on standby, too. You don't know. So uh, yeah. he's going to do whatever it takes to get what he wants. Uh uh, I don't even want to get into certain things, but I don't think he's feeling the love from anybody yeah. up top. Yeah. And I think that's right. a shame because I guarantee this is a really good kid. And it just, it, oh. that, that, that shit breaks my heart when it, you, you don't even get rewarded for being like a good, good person. Like it's just, I don't know. It all sucks, man. But well, I think the Cejudo fight is the springboard and it's tricky, right? He has the winning streak. He has the number one next to his name, but I think the Cejudo fight will, the, will be the conduit through which he gets his title fight. And once he does, if he wins it, right. And I've said similar things to Bilal Muhammad, right. But just got to get that fight. And Bilal has gotten yeah. that fight in theory, right? Like the Georgian contingent get behind Mirab in a championship setting. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean that's the uh, yeah unreal. Wait, what, Bilal, what did I? I spoke to Bilal a lot this week. What what, did, what does he got coming up? Well, no, he doesn't have a title fight, yeah. but he won a fight in which the winner was guaranteed a title right. fight. So I do believe Dana White eventually will honor that win over Gilbert Burns as an eliminator, and I think Bilal's next fight even if it's in 2029, will be for the world championship. But uh, we got the greatest living American here, so we're going to let you fly. But uh, I wish I had more time. I'm glad I had at least a minute to come into the locker room and give you a T-shirt and say hello. Oh, but obviously, you're my, favorite, you're my favorite New Yorker, and I always wish we had more time. So, yeah, Always great seeing you, man. I had a great time with Cody, too. So I got to see uh, Cody, which was great. And I would have loved to have spent more time with you, John. But – that's another thing with New York. You think it's going to go good. Everybody's here, you know, and then yeah. before you know it, it's Monday morning and you miss 10 people. You should have talked. It's this. just so chaos. It's just it is chaos. what it is. But right now for me, it's, we got to regroup and get everybody back on track because we're in a little bit of a, a slide. <laughs> so uh, yeah. we'll see what the you gym will, is made man. out you of. You will. Yeah, we'll see what it's made out of. Well, thankfully, you know, voting for coach of the year closed well before this little oh, slide. So gee, it should okay. be good. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. Hey, <laughs> much love, huh? Stare, eh? I'll call you later. I, I owe you a even, phone call. I'm, 100%. Let's do that. We got a lot to talk oh, about. I'll call you later. Yes, All we right. do. Yeah, we definitely do. <laughs> the great Ray Longo with us every week. Boy. Maybe, maybe Kenny can help us with a. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny, we can need help some help. All right, conference me. Yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. we, we're we really bringing do. Kenny in. All right, listen, <laughs> tell that greatest living American that Ray Longo says hello and thank you I for will. your service as usual. Uh, I, will I will see you guys next week and definitely call me. I got a million. I will to talk call you. About. I will call you. All right, cool, man. All right, talk to you later. Ray Longo every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And for the Minutemen who think I'm always banging on Ray, you just heard him say, definitely call me. We don't do it for the show, but I do feel a little bit perpetually misunderstood by our audience when it comes to the Ray Longo dynamic. But now joining us as we continue our UFC 295 recap. Hey. 
Look at this guy, 11-time UFC veteran, former WEC light heavyweight champion, United States Marine, whose valor and leadership in combat was recognized by the United States of America, just removed from Veterans Day. One of my best friends in the world, the greatest living American, Brian Stan. It's good to see you, handsome. How are we doing? Good to see you guys, man. It's, it's great to see how much this show continues to blow up. You, you guys just put out phenomenal content, and uh, man, I miss you guys. I get all kinds of nostalgic anytime. Your name comes across from a text message, an email. I got the chance to bump in and see Kenny and just shake his hand. Right, he was so busy, um, but 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 it's awesome. Thanks for having me on. So uh, it's crazy to think it's now been more than ten years since your last fight against Vanderlei Silva. Dude, it's it's wild. Uh, you know, and it feels like a different phase of my life. I've been so focused these last few years on really, as I call it, getting my black belt in business. Um, and it feels so long ago, but I was literally just using a vignette, a lesson, a metaphor for my fighting career and the lessons, the hard lessons you learn and how unforgiving that sport is in trying to to develop a a person on my team, you know, who's, um, you know, dealing with, you know, some different challenges. So it's been a while, man. It doesn't feel like it's that long. And then other days it feels like it was a whole lifetime ago. Right. So I know your work life is crazy, five daughters and everything else you have going on. But I do know that you try to strike some sort of work-life balance, which means that some of your recreational time is reserved for these UFC pay-per-views. So we're happy to be able to pick your brain a little bit. And then time permitting, certainly on the back end, I want to maybe dive into some uh, some personal stuff. But of the 14 or so UFC pay-per-views we do, I'd imagine you catch a wayward fight night here or there. But of the pay-per-views, how many of these things are uh, you know still appointment viewing for you at this stage of your life? All, all, all the big cards, the, the really cool thing for me, I look at it through a different lens now from a business in this content machine that the UFC is on, right? Yeah. The, the media rights, the content rights to, to show that product is just taking the valuation of the company roof. And I get around these casual fans who love the sport. And there is no huge name headlining that card. Right. There was nobody that a casual fan who watches football on Sundays and is at their kids, you know, baseball and lacrosse games on Saturdays. It's just, hey, UFC pay-per-view. We're going to watch it. The brand is just now so associated as putting on awesome fights. And so you could have someone who's never seen, you know, Yuri and Pajeda fight before and watch that fight. And how are you not entertained? Right. How are you not saying the next day, Brian, the next time there's a pay-per-view, make sure you over i want to watch that in your basement because that was awesome and it's wild right they've grown the sport to the point where um you can you can deliver amazing you don't always require the star power that maybe that the sport required in previous years and that says a lot for you that i mean these athletes globally now the well-rounded unique diverse athletes that this sport finds is just incredible so i, I had a lot of fun and really enjoyed the i really enjoyed the card so, Brian, you see a difference even from when you were commentating not too long ago to how it is right now, right? Yeah. You know, when, 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 when I was commentating, right, specifically Conor McGregor is mentioned in the documents for evaluation that was at a multiple, right, a multiple of earnings that people just hadn't seen before, right? That was a massive sale of the UFC, and a lot of their value is associated with the star power of, of singular names, Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor. It's still beyond that now, right? Yeah. I think the pandemic accelerated a little bit, but I, I think that there's 
there are executives and people, you know, John and you being some of them, right, whose brands are associated with this sport and have continued to move it forward to where every time you watch a pay-per-view broadcast, you know you're going to see really good content. It's like when you watch Sunday night football, right? You're not going to get, like, if you watch Amazon's Thursday night game, you may not get the greatest game in the world, right? But if you watch Sunday night, you could expect to see a pre- People know that now. And, and people have a lot of fun. The hardcore fans are going to, you know, people like us are going to follow the names. But now the big bulk of people who pay to watch pay-per-views just know they're going to watch some really great athletes fight. And they don't know whatever the odds are, right? Who the hell knows what's going to happen? Because so many times the odds mean nothing and, and someone gets a massive upset. Uh, Brian, you alluded to it earlier. You know, I, I guess I'm curious, obviously, w- with your military background, with your fighting background, what is the common thing that you can tie into the business world right now? Like, what is the thing that I think is most that you think is most apparent in what you're doing now as, as you know, as CEO? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know, discipline is obviously one, but one of the biggest ones from fighting was humility, right? When when you do when you are a mixed martial arts fighter, you are getting humbled every single day in the gym by somebody. If you're not, you're probably in the wrong gym. Kenny, as you know, we you'd go to the gym, and some days Rashad Evans would have me making make me feel like I need to retire, like I shouldn't, I can't wrestle with this guy, I can't get up from underneath them. Or then I do a sparring session, I do three rounds of John Jones, I didn't touch the guy. Like I'm, you know what I mean, you you learn to be very humble, and with that humility coupled with the discipline, you're constantly going to find the knowledge necessary to get better. And in my role now. You know, as a CEO, it's very easy for me to think, well, you know, I, I went and got an executive MBA, studied overseas, like check the box, BS. I am constantly trying to look around corners and figure out what don't I know about? Like I have gone deep into the well of artificial intelligence and machine learning and making sure that I hire the right people because a big part of the future and my business needs to be investing in this technology to make sure that we can deliver cutting edge service to our customers, right? That's not something I'm comfortable with, right? I wasn't like coding in Python and different, you know, I had no idea what these things even meant, right? And now I'm taking every course that I can find and I'm seeking out knowledge from other advisors on how can I deploy this technology and invest in it so that I'm not caught, you know, two, three years down the road where I'm at a significant strategic disadvantage. That's awesome. Um, all right, I want to get back to UFC 295. What a lot of a lot of knockouts, a lot of finishes. Which was which was the fight that surprised you the most? You know, I think the yeah, heavyweights shouldn't surprise you when the knockout is that early, right? But I still, when I watch Aspinall fight, and and he's been all the rage, but that is a big athletic guy, and you know we're seeing more and more of that in the heavyweight division. The heavyweight division used to be where if you could see a portion of the rankings there that they weren't really that good if you were to compare them to like lightweights and welterweights. You could still be a specialist and exist there and not kind of get found out and exposed. Not really starting to happen anymore, right? We're starting to get some really significant athletes. Like Aspinall could probably go play a number of different professional sports, as can, you know, a serial game, you know, some of these guys. And I just, when I saw that, I started to get really excited about a potential fight against John Jones, who, despite anything that's happened in his career, 
similar to like a Mike Tyson, 10, 20 years from now, people are going to talk about this guy as, hey, look, this is one of the most significant guys in combat sports history. I mean, he just destroyed people from multi-generations up and down the rankings and just made it look easy for far too long. Can John make it look easy against this guy? And I know we're not going to see that next. And Mia Chich has been, you know, he's been promising, you know, love Stipe, but dang it, I couldn't help but leave that pay-per-view thinking to myself, boy, do I really, really, really want yeah. to see that fight when John's healthy. Well, Stipe's last fight took place when he was 38 years of age. And in theory, his next fight will happen when he's 42. And that's part of the issue with the Mia Chich return. I wondered aloud why more people didn't see value on him at like plus 290 in the John Jones matchup. Everybody was looking at me like I'm crazy. I don't know. I still felt like Stipe was going to be competitive, but you're right. I mean, I'm up at night already thinking about John Jones and Tom Aspinall. Brian, stand with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. You may have heard me refer to Brian as the greatest living American. Now, I referred to you as such when you were my broadcast partner. And I don't know if it was John Anderson or John Butchie Gross on ESPN Sports Center used to refer to Tom Brady as the greatest living American. God love Tommy, but the guy never even fucking served the country, right? I mean, can we just start there? Like, there may be an American out there greater than Brian Stan, but I can assure you that individual served the goddamn country. Uh, but Brian Stan is very grateful to give us a few minutes here on what I know is a busy Monday. So, Alex Pedeta, bro. Like, is this not crazy, right? Danbury, Connecticut's own, right? But to be this few fights into his mixed martial arts career and to realize belts in two divisions, I don't know what it speaks to a lot of different things, but certainly he's had an appetite for MMA evolution and an appetite for this sport as a whole to to realize this greatness in such a short amount of time. You know, it's interesting. The thing that struck out to me the most in that fight, and he probably appreciates this being the technician that he is, there was an underhook and a very complex get-up using the cage in that fight that we haven't seen a whole lot from Pajeda. Pajeda is typically just a survivor on the ground, wait for the referee to save me, and then I'm just so potent on the feet. What he did when he got an underhook, he switched his legs, he got up, he held wrist control, had a wizard. Like He's working very hard, and he's learning a lot, and that's going to make it a lot harder. The recipe would be, hey, anybody who wants to beat him, you better take him down a whole bunch of times, wear him out. That is not going to be the answer forever because he showed he can do that. And then obviously, man, he's just so good technically. He doesn't need any space to knock you out. He's not knocking guys out with like these big blasting, you know, punches that we've seen in other fights. He's knocking you out with like check hooks and like little tiny uppercuts and just these weird funky. He's kicking your legs out from under you with like a very standard. He's hardly even turning the hip over. Right. He reminds me, I used to you know, play football. You'll see these guys in the weight room sometimes that are smaller than everybody else. But how are they pressing like a Jalen Hurts who squats over 600 and some pounds? How does he do that? And then you learn about levers inside the joints. Like, I don't know the physical composition of the kid, but the power is just through the roof. And I don't care what weight he's fighting in. So I have – do you have like a few more minutes? Brian Stan is with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So Greg Olson is Fox's number one NFL analyst right now. Tom Brady will assume that seat, I guess, in 2024. Uh, Greg Olson lives in Ken Flo's neighborhood in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So a lot of people believe this man sounds like you. Your voice is a little yeah. bit deeper maybe a little bit more polished, if I could say that. Have you heard this before, and do you hear any audible similarity? <laughs> so, so, John, my I've got a chat group with all of my cousins, and every weekend they start <laughs> me calling 
because we even have the similar faced head. (laughs) Hey, Brian, why? Hey, hey, Brian, you really sounded stupid in that. And now with the the new commercials that they, (laughs) right? Um, I'm teased on that as well. So yes, I have heard it. And I've even wondered, my gosh, he does sound a little bit like me. And he kind of geeks out over some of the details that I used to. Yeah. Well, so right. that, that is that is wild. And I can only imagine how nice that, that neighborhood is. And I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> He's a yeah. massive dude. I saw this dude. He looked like a like a shaved Yeti walking around the neighborhood. Oh. Go, that guy plays football. Who the heck is that guy? And I realized, oh, it's Greg Olson. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm kind of a football noob, but I was like, He's got to be someone. And someone's like, yeah, dude, that's Greg Olson. What are you doing? <laughs> Eyes like this around because his head makes mine look warm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. He's big, yeah. dude. He's you a know? big guy. And if you don't know, Brian Stan did uh, did do some college football pretty extensively uh, for the ACC before becoming uh, a UFC commentator. All right, before I let you go, and perhaps this is a selfish question, but if you don't know, Brian Stan and I called fights together for years. And with respect to Ken Flo and everybody else, all the other hard workers in the space, I've never met a broadcaster. I mean, maybe Dan Hardy's close, but I've never met a broadcaster who prepared on the level of Brian Stan, not me, not anybody, and probably shouldn't surprise you. But when you left to go get your executive MBA, you were never a full-time MMA personality. You always had a full-time job, even though you were calling maybe 20, 25 cards a year. So obviously it was a very hard time in my life when you left because I was like, this dude's fucking leaving me at the altar. And I guess I should have been expectant that this was going to happen. Like, But did you ever really think that, that your full-time initiative was going to be UFC commentator? You know, I I did. I I had a conversation with the UFC before deciding to to go back to school. And it was really around, hey, look, I've got three kids and I'm starting to look ahead. I've got a plan for college. And when comparing what I was doing in television to what I thought my capabilities could lead me to in business, you know, people make the bulk of their money and incentives and whether it's stock awards or it's long-term incentive compensation. But That's where real money is made to where you can create real value for you and your family. And, you know, when you're broadcasting for the UFC, very similar to fighting, you get paid when you work. And so I just, I wanted a long-term contract. I said, look, if I can get signed up for something where I'm not constantly competing, um, you know, every year for a new thing. And they took great care of me. This isn't, you know, the bad, I mean, the UFC was wonderful to me. That just wasn't their model with their broadcaster. Right. really worried. You know, what happens 10 years from now when some incredible brand athlete retires and they want to call fights and I'm older, I'm less known. Nobody cares about when I fought. Nobody remembers when I fought and I become more expendable. Where is my greater earning potential? And at the same time, I felt like that was in business and running companies. And I also looked at it as I'm starting to miss some of these major events in my kid's life because I'm constantly hustling on the weekends, flying internationally and doing that and not having a long-term contract. Boy, I'm going to invest so much time in being a broadcaster and I don't have any, and there's no guarantees for anybody in anything, but I feel like I've got, um, I've got more security with my yeah. obligations to my family and what I do now. And that I did, had I gotten a long-term contract, I very well could have, you know, still been doing TV, which was the most fun job I've ever had. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. And, and the UFC treated us very well. Well, you're a tremendous 
asset and ambassador, not just to this country, but obviously to mixed martial arts. So anything we can do to uh, keep your name in the space. Uh, and I appreciate you still taking our calls at Brian Stan on Instagram. He's not on Twitter that much on X anymore, folks, incidentally. So find busy. him on Instagram, find him on Instagram. But hey, best of luck with everything you got going on, my man. And uh, I just want to let you know real quick. So Michael LaPlante took me to see Roosevelt in Brooklyn, New York at Brooklyn Steel uh last week and i'm just letting you know i'm sure that you and michelle are busy but this wednesday night november 15th roosevelt is in atlanta georgia so just at the very least look him up and if you're looking to do something this wednesday night you do worse than seeing roosevelt in concert okay all right thank you so much fellas i appreciate it great seeing y'all thank you buddy there he is the great Brian staying with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So, yeah, so Lappy took me to see Roosevelt. You know, I'm not much of a concert guy, especially during pay-per-view weeks, but Roosevelt fucking banging it out, man. And Tuesday, November 14th, Ken Flo, Charleston, South Carolina. He's performing three hours and 13 minutes from your front door. I think it's nice. a little much to go six hours in the car, great but – uh, Roosevelt, absolutely outstanding and good stuff there from uh, from Brian Stan. We will bring Brian Petrie into the conversation in a few minutes here as we continue on UFC 295. But I feel like we shortchanged Tommy Aspinall a little bit. We're not going to have time to uh, dive too far into the Honey Badger stuff today, but rest assured that was his idea, not mine, if, uh, if you're out there. But as this heavyweight division progresses forward. We have to discuss the now undeniably muddy waters we have in this heavyweight division. Thankfully, John Jones went right into surgery, but it does appear as though they are going to make every exhaustive effort to preserve the fight between John Jones and Stipe Miocic. And that really puts Tom Aspinall in a position where he's going to have to defend his belt against somebody like Cito Gunn. And Kenny, I don't think you can have two undisputed heavyweight champions, right? Because therein lies the dispute. And you really can't have a guy defending a UFC interim heavyweight championship, right? So I honestly think the only solution might be to shelve Tom Aspinall for a full year, right? Which would then be putting the onus on John Jones and Stipe that that John Jones, in theory, as the Prohibited betting favorite wins that fight in, say, July, and then turns around and fights Tom Aspinall December of 2024, or vacates the throne, and he can have Tom Aspinall compete in August, September 2024. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tom Aspinall just became a superstar this past weekend. You're not trying to shelve the guy for a year. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think overall these are good problems to have. If you're trying to put yeah. together another fight um, in the future, you risk a lot of different things. I also think that, you know, who knows? John Jones and Stipe Miocic, that fight may not happen. You know, Stipe, he hasn't fought in a long time. He's a little bit older. John Jones has a peck that was torn off the bone. These are things that take a long time. And I don't know. Is Stipe going to is Stipe going to wait around? Is he going to be healthy? Is John Jones going to be healthy? Is Aspinall going to be healthy throughout that whole? Pro- I don't know. It's a, it's difficult. But what you do have at the end of the day, John, I guess, are, are options. Um, and I think that what you can do is, is at least in the meantime, if John Jones and Stipe is going to be put on the back burner, or, or if that is uncertain, then you can kind of mix and match a little bit, or you know, just kind of ha- have Aspinall uh, as the new champ, you know, depending on what happens with jo- with, with Jones. So I-, I guess it gets a little tricky there. No question about it. So Tom Aspinall has suggested a fight, an eliminator between Cito Gan and Jailton Almeida. I think that makes a lot of sense. 
it's just really interesting. And if anyone, as I said on the post show, is able to unmuddy the muddy waters, it is the UFC. But I do think, Kenny, you're probably going to put yourself in a in a position here where uh, where where Tom Aspinall is going to have to sit for a little bit. Yeah, most likely. I, you know, I don't think that's that's a, a major problem, really. Obviously, he's got a back injury that he needs to heal up. For him, I would highly suggest and highly recommend that um, he goes out and, and tries to rectify that thing because that is going to be his biggest challenge moving forward as someone yeah. who experienced it for the majority of his UFC career. Um, I, I just would go back into training and redo it all over again. He needs to get healthy you know, build up his base, build up his body, get several experts in there to make sure that back injury doesn't reveal itself again. So um, yeah. I think it gives him time to be able to do that, John. All right. I want to go three wide as we continue our UFC 295 recap here and uh, and call on the capable mind of, uh, of Brian Petrie. BP, it's oh, good to see you, handsome. How are we doing? I am good, boys. How you doing? All right, so I got a lot of things I want to discuss with you boys. So let's try to be as efficient as possible because there's so many things I want to hammer on UFC 295. And we do have uh, – how about me making you guys make seven selections for UFC Fight Night, Allen versus Craig? I how love that. Huh? You like that, Kenny? Who are these guys again? So, Bri, I want to start yeah. with you on uh, on Alex Pereira real quickly if I could. And as we spin it forward, right, and certainly if you want to sound off a little bit on the performance, right, but – Another muddy water here. Jamal Hill is on the mend, and that's really what I think lied at the core of why Alex Pereira was trying to lay the foundation for a fight against Israel Adesanya. Certainly, Anthony Smith makes sense, right? He's off a win. There's some friction there, even if he's number seven in the world. Nikita Krilov probably makes a little bit less sense than Anthony Lionheart Smith. I just don't know that Alex Pereira is going to sit around for nine months, and Jamal Hill right now is in the rehab, not training phase. So your right. thoughts on our new light heavyweight champion and uh, and how you unmuddy those waters? I mean, first off, the guy is doing something that not many people can do. I mean, w what he's doing is, is is unbelievable. I can't believe I picked against him. I mean, what he is special. He is just a special human being. As far as the muddy waters, yeah, it is a little muddy because he he said, I want to be active. He wants Adesanya to come up. He's saying Adesanya is too talented to sit on the sidelines. That's probably not going to happen. Yeah, Jan Blahovich calling him out, which is very uncharacteristic of Jan. Jan was yeah, tweeted yeah. at him and stuff. And then you got Ankoliath who – has that unfinished business with Johnny Walker and because I thought Ankalife would be the next up. So you're right. There's a little muddy water there. I know Chael was pitching Anthony Smith on the post or the uh, on the table, on the desk. Uh, um, right. And Anthony Smith, just to me, he doesn't earn it. He's one and two in his last three. I know he's a name, but I feel like giving Anthony Smith the shot would be like, let's keep this guy busy. And maybe that's what they need to do because you're right. There isn't a – I mean, we want to see Jamal Hill there, but Jamal Hill's still a little bit ways away. And I would, if I had the answers to unmuddy this, I think I have a job at the UFC. It's tough, yeah, man. It's yeah. it's a tough situation to deal with. But um, I think Prayer wants to be active, and I think you just give him whoever he wants. You let him pick. You know what I mean? Here we got three guys. Who do you want? I think that's what you do. Kenny, I don't know if you have anything on that. I would just interject into the conversation of Alex Pereira, however green he is as far as mixed martial arts is concerned. Just think about the amount of hours that this man has had in the training room with Glover to share willingly, just putting himself through the trenches, through all these training camps over these two years, all of the value that he has gained from being in these big time championship fights. Jamal Hill, I believe, is the best athlete of all of these light heavyweights. I think he's a much better pure athlete than Yuri Prohaska, than Alex Pereira. 
But while Jamal Hill remains on the mend and with respect plays basketball games with our producer and my twin brother, Alex Pereira is grappling and wrestling like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so. You know, that 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 should be the plan. I'm not sure he wants to stay busy. I think he want he would like to stay busy against people who are going to be big fights for him. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> what I think, right? I mean, otherwise, I mean, he's calling out Israel Adesanya for a reason. Israel Adesanya is not a 205-pounder, right? He wants big names. He wants big fights. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that um, – more than anything else, he wants to get that big fight that a lot of people want to see, which is awesome. The problem is I don't think we're going to see it with Izzy for a while, but he's trying. You know, I, I think that if he can maybe go, hey, let's see if, if Izzy gets an itch in like six months. I'll be there waiting for him because it's a big fight for Izzy as well. You know, it's yeah. a big money fight. Izzy is not the champ at 185 pounds right now. Izzy has the opportunity to walk around at around 215 probably yeah. right now too. So, yeah, tricky. So we got this lightweight Mataj Rambetsky out of Poland that's won like 37 fights in a row. He's built like a backyard shed. And Mm -hmm. we spend all this time talking about the unranked Benoit Saint-Denis. But I think it stands to reason, Ken Flo, that Rambetsky could be a real problem for some of these guys in the top 15 as well. So before I get back to Benoit (laughs) Saint-Denis, What do you think about Mataj Rambetsky? I mean, this dude could be a real problem if a little bit undersold at this point. I was getting the shakes. I had a little PTSD. I thought I was looking at a reincarnation of Sean Shirk out there. Yeah, he was. I mean, this guy—he's just a—he's—he's he's a little ball of muscle, and he's mm-hmm. a problem. He's fast. He can kick your legs out. He's got power on the feet. He'll put you on your back. He clearly can fight off of his back as well. He's good at taking the back. Yeah, he's a problem, man. He's a problem. I love the way he fights. He's exciting. Uh, he's out there to finish. Uh, I think he could pose a lot of problems for people. Those kind of stocky guys, you know, um, are an issue. Not not only on the feet, um, but more, probably more so on the ground. So, and this kid, he'll bring that fight to the ground. So, yeah, a lot of fun to watch, man. All right, now let us get back to Benoit Santini, Brian Petrie. Okay, yes. so. Oh, it's a little bit tough because we're all very close with Matt Frivola to have the type of conversation that I'm trying to have, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just start here. Who's a tougher fight for Islam Akashev? Dan Hooker or Benoit Santini? Who's a tougher foot fight for Islam Akashev? Michael Chandler or Benoit Santini? Perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself, right? Who's a tougher fight for Islam Akashev? Rafael Fazeev or Benoit Santini? A lot of people say, man, Fazeev's the fastest, best striker in the division. It's definitely that fucking guy, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah, I mean, Cody thinks I'm just crazy. Cody, we'll have to pick that up off the air, okay, son? <laughs> um, okay, young Cody. Right. Yeah. You know what point I'm trying to make yeah. here. Uh, for more reasons than one, I think Benoit Santini is a real problem. I actually thought yeah. he was underpriced against Matt Frivola. Your thoughts on BSD? Yeah, he impressed me. I mean, he had that sweep on Frivola, and I was like, oh, shit, this guy's this guy's the real deal because Frivola's heavy on top. And, and Benoit Santini, he's still a little green. I mean, people don't realize that. He hasn't been doing this a long time, and he's really good and special. He's strong. He's big in there and and obviously tough and durable and, and, and a fucking complete wild man, which I love. 
um, class act after the fight as well, which I, which I appreciated because before the fight, there was some, you know, he walked out with that mean mug and sticking his tongue out and shit. After the fight, that's where you go first class. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I love Steamroll. I love Matt Favola. I thought Favola could catch him in this fight, but Ben Wall came out. And again, this is just another level of him improving himself. You know, he got taken down. He landed a sweep, got taken down again, worked his way up, landed a head kick off a break where Favola wasn't expecting that. These are all new things we've seen of him, and he's staying active, and he's finishing people. This guy is a finisher. He said in the post he's a finisher. Now, putting him in there with Islam is a little scary. I mean, I think Chandler maybe has a heads up on him because Chandler's wrestling is phenomenal. But, yeah, I mean, I get your point. In maybe a year or two, this guy's going to be a real, and he still is now, but I'm saying, like, give him a couple more wins, and if he's finishing these top, top dudes, look out. I mean, this guy's this guy could be it. Yeah, I I think he I think he's a very good fighter, no question about it. I think that he's the problem is he's in a division that is absolutely loaded loaded with talent, and I think he's a little bit short on talent. That does not mean he can't be a champion, right? I just think that if you're comparing his level of athleticism and also the amount of training that he's able to get, right? It's like mm-hmm. he's in France, he's not an American top team, he, you know, right. uh, and I think that. Those two things are going to be hiccups for him yeah. uh, moving forward. But as far as matchups, stylistic matchups against yeah. Islam Mahashev, I think that's a very valid point. Mm-hmm. And it is certainly encouraging, as I said earlier, that when Ken Flo wonders aloud about some of those concerns, those are the type of conversations that we're having in our fighter meeting about getting those training partners and making the investment to get the right guys there. Because I just believe in terms of the mental and the overall aspirations and the commitment, uh, this dude's going to be do everything in his power to bridge that talent gap over the next two years. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Very excited about uh, about his particular future. Ken Flo, you went five and one. You've been absolutely crushing it over the last month. You went 5-1 and one at UFC 295 plus $864. A lot of that was rooted in a five-unit play on Diego Lopez, who miraculously closed at plus money, yeah, uh, despite wow. the fact that you guys had a combined nine units on him, right? He was plus 110 on the show, still was, I think, plus 102 at mm-hmm. close against the very talented grappler, Pat Sabatini. But, dude, uh, this guy, Diego Lopez, right? Like, no matter what happens over the last two months, Francisco Grasso is my coach of the year here on the Anakin Florian podcast, right? Yeah. Turning these grapplers into, like, high-level strikers. What would you make of Diego Lopez over those 90 seconds against uh, Pat Sabatini, kid? Kid's a stud. I think that's why Brian and I were so high on him. Um, I think that he does a lot of things well, and he's a finisher through and through. Uh, Sabatini is a very good grappler, but I didn't know if he was going to have an edge there against Lopez. So when you have that level of finishing ability and you're that good on the feet and on the ground and you're big for the weight class, I mean, dude, He's got so much going for him um, and just continues with this momentum. He's definitely someone to watch in that division. He's a problem. Mm -hmm. Dude, I guess uh, (laughs) – who is it? It's my my friend Hayden Iverson, I believe. Hey, Jai picks on Instagram who who calls him emo kid, and it just gets me (laughs) crying every time. But he's such a sweet kid. Like I absolutely love him, and uh, I almost get a little bit emotional talking about his success because – as I said on the broadcast, Bri, like he was knocking mm. on the door for so long, right? Yeah. Like the dude had like almost 20 wins and lost on the contender series, then lost his next fight. Wow. And so now to see him realize this and, and look like he's on a trajectory to financial freedom, if not a world title, pretty fucking cool. 
Yeah, and he's fighting like it. He's fighting like I I know what it's like to be on the outside and wanting to be in. Now I'm here. I'm putting on exciting fights and I'm letting it go. And I don't think you're ever going to see a boring fight from him. If there's ever a boring fight from Diego Lopez, I will cut my hair like Diego Lopez. Okay. I kind of <laughs> want to do it anyway. Why said no, but uh, no, the kid's a stud. He's a stud. He's good everywhere. He's good off his back. He's good on top. And I saw him uh, knocking out Sabatini. He, he's good on the feet. It's not the cleanest in the world, but he goes for it. And Sabatini's hittable and has been put down before. And that's kind of how I saw the path to victory. But I love watching this kid. Uh, I can't wait to see him more. I mean, he's he's calling out the right people too. He called out Bryce Mitchell. I mean, that could be a main yeah. event next year, a fight night somewhere. That'd be a great fight. All right. Well, it was a memorable night uh, at Madison Square Garden. Congratulations to all the other winners as well: Steve Urseg, Lupe Godinez, Jared Gordon with a big knockout at MSG, uh, Jamal Emers, and everybody else. Big big things at the world's most famous arena. But we got to spend it forward as UFC Fight Night: Allen versus Craig, live from the UFC Apex this Saturday night. Both of you guys had outstanding weeks in the black. We will try to keep it going here with seven selections for our viewers and listeners here on the DraftKings Network and the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. First pick for us is going to be the featured prelim at Featherweight because this fight is just outstanding, Bri. Jonathan Pierce, minus 130. Joe Anderson Brito is plus 110. So the meat of our program is picking fights. I mean, that's why we're picking seven. But how could I leave this one off? Yeah, Jonathan Pierce has won nine of ten fights. He had that setback against Joe Lozon in 2019, maybe a showcase fight for him and came up a little bit short, got finished. But he's won five in a row since, making his first start of the year here against Joe Anderson, Brito, Bry. Mm -hmm. Who do you love? Who do you love? I know we're coming off one of the best cards of the year. Let's not sleep on this cardboard. Top to bottom, there are some real bangers. This is one of them. I'm glad we're picking this fight. You are high on JSB. You're high on Pierce. You talk about him when he wins and he dominates. He looks good. He left a sour taste in my mouth. Uh, Lozon debut. The Lozon debut, I'm like, man, I can't get past that. And what has he done? He's rattled off five wins. He's looked dominant. He's finishing guys. Very tough. Um, out cardio on point. Grappling on point. Top pressure on point. But he's running into a fucking buzzsaw. He's running into Brito, who is a hammer, right? This guy is technical. He's powerful. He's wild. Those are all three things that you can't say people are, but he is. He's good on the ground. He lands more takedowns than he gets takedowns land on him. That's where Pierce is going to have to land takedowns. He's also six foot tall, getting underneath under Brito. It's going to be tough for Pierce unless he body locks him, takes him down. Um, low price on Pierce. So a lot of people out there early on MMA Twitter like Pierce, and I can see why. But I'm going to go the dog. I'm going to go Brito here. I think he knocks him out. I think he catches uh, Pierce. I think Pierce is, is – I, I want to see him fight a little bit more. Um, but other than that, I think he's a stud. But I just – I got to go with the dog here. Kenflo Brito, 3-1 and one of the UFC, coming off a big knockout of Weston Wilson in July. Third straight stoppage win for him. Also got Andre Feely last year in a 41-second TKO that produced a bonus. Your thoughts on him here, underdog, against Jonathan Pierce? Yeah, you know, I think that the big difference here for me is the fact that, you know, Brito is just extremely explosive. If there's going to be a finish, I'd probably be leaning that way. Uh, and that's just the thing that stands out when I'm looking at both these guys and analyzing uh, their games. For me, Brito's the more dangerous guy. He's also the underdog, so I like him as well. Hey. All right, main card, ESPN+. Plus. In the welterweight division and following a monumental win his last time out, enter the Dr. Udo Schmedich, modest 230, taking on Johnny Parsons' project. Parsons plus 190. 
Medich stopped Matthew nice. Semmelsberger emphatically at UFC 291 in July. What a huge win for the somewhat undersized Udo Schmedich at 170 pounds. Only UFC loss came against Jalen Turner. Now he draws the slugger not Johnny Parsons, Bry, who has won six in a row. Who do you have? Man, I love Johnny Parsons. He's got that. He's got that Kentucky waterfall. I love talking about the slugger not. This guy doesn't give a fuck. He's got a good Muay Thai base. He gets in there. He slangs and bangs. You watch any of his fights before the UFC. He's dynamic on the mic as well. He'll cut a promo right in your fucking face. I like this guy, right? He's 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 the he's he's a good stand-up fighter. Trains out of Vegas. People in that Vegas gym love him. They rave about him. But he's run into a guy I was high on, and I'm still high on him. I know a lot of people kind of got off the train when he lost to Jalen Turner. But that's fucking Jalen Turner. Medich is is a real deal good striker. Well rounded, can land takedowns himself. Cardio one point. He fought a big boy in Matthew Sellersberger. Matthew yeah. Sellersberger. A tremendous athlete, big, heavy power puncher. And it was a fight of the night contender. And maybe it did win fun. I don't know. I have to check my facts, but knocked him out. And that impressed me. He is sharp. Minus 230 to me. When I first saw it, I'm like, ah, I might be a little too high because I love the Suggernaut. I love Johnny Parsons. I don't bet against Mullets. It's part of my system. But yeah. I think Medish is head and shoulders better everywhere. I think he's going to go out there. Don't know if we'll get a finish because Parsons is, is a legit tough dude. But uh, I think Medish is going to style on him for sure. Kenny, contractually, I can't bet on fights, nor can I predict fights, but I still think like an MMA handicapper and a gambler. So there have been two recent performances that have made me think, all right, remind me to not fade that guy in his next fight. It was Udo Schmedich and then Brad Katona, guys. I'm telling you, like Brad Katona yeah. is just going to be a real fucking nuisance for mm -hmm. whoever he fights. So with that thought, Ken Flo, Udo Schmedich, the minus 230 favorite here, Johnny Parsons plus 190. Who do you have? Yeah, I, I think Brian's on it. Uh, Parsons is is really tough. He's got some good knockout power. He's feisty. He's going to be in your face. So I think he's interesting as an underdog. Mm -hmm. But you're right, John. Uh, Medich, it, it's hard to go against him. The, the big thing here is the fact that he's big. He's got a lot. He's going to have a huge range advantage against Parsons. So, you know, I think Parsons would be interesting. If they were right around the same size, Mm -hmm. I would say, hey, you know what? Maybe Parsons is an underdog. But when you have a guy who could strike like that, like Medich, and he's got that kind of length uh, and size advantage, ah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long night, I think, for Parsons um, mm -hmm. if he's able to survive all fifteen minutes. Medich, the former lightweight, not having to cut weight too anymore. He really is enjoying not having to do that for whatever it's worth. All right, next up at Strawweight, Amanda Hebas, modest two fifty eight right now on DraftKings Sportsbook. Luana Panero is plus two ten. So Hebas, interesting story here. Bri won four mm -hmm. in a row to begin her UFC run. Now she's alternated wins and losses spanning her last five. And she was in that particularly bloody affair with Macy Barber last time out in Jacksonville. Now she draws Luana Pinheiro, number nine in the world. Took a split from Michelle Watterson Gomez in a competitive fight back in April in Miami. Hebas the favorite, Pinheiro the dog. Bri, which way are you going here, kid? I was surprised to see, uh, excuse me, uh, Manny Hibas the favorite here because of what she's gone through. But I think she's really talented. I mean, her biggest issue is a little bit of durability. The durability is going to be coming to question, but I don't think that's going to be much of an issue against Pinero here. Pinero's got a knockout on the contender series, but other than that, she's a little just kind of like she fights her style, fight her pace. There's not a ton of volume. She doesn't dive at legs much. She'll land a couple of takedowns, but she wins. I thought she actually lost to Michelle Watterson Gomez. Um, but, you know, that doesn't matter what I think. She actually got the yeah. W here. But I think Hebas is kind of better everywhere. Unless she just lays flat on her back and can't get up, 
I think Kibos wins this fight. I, I really do. I think she's going to stay away. I think the talent's there. We need a confidence builder. You know, Amanda yeah. Kibos needs to get back. She needs to win. She needs to get confidence back because she's still a great fighter to root for and a great fighter to watch. So give me Amanda Hebas, uh, because I nailed that name. Thank you, Kenny. And uh, I'll take her as a W here. Canflow, Hebas minus 258, Panero plus 210. Which way are you going? Let's get ah, it. Interesting fight. Let's go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think very, very interesting fight here. Uh, they both come from that judo background, right? I think Pinheiro has accomplished more in her judo, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that could come into play here. I, I think that she's one of the few people that could potentially put Hibas on her back and keep her there. As far as striking goes, both are learning. Both are getting better. Hebas is probably a little bit further ahead. Perhaps Pinheiro hits with a little bit more power. Um, and, uh, you know, Brian talked about it. I- I'm a little concerned with Hebas and the kind of fights that she's been in over the last couple of years. I'm, I-, I wonder how durable she is. I mean, it's not helping. It's not making her more durable being right. a part of some of those mm-hmm. fights. You know, yeah. that's not, that's not going to help. So, I don't know. I, I think that uh, and, you know, her coming off that loss, I think is going to be tough on the confidence, her having to battle back against someone that she knows is going to be very tough, if not much better than her when it comes to the takedown game. And of course, this is MMA, right? It's how you use your skills for mixed martial arts. But I think Pinheiro has some nasty takedowns, dude, like whether it's you know, throws or trips, she's going to be a problem for Hebas. And if the one thing that you typically have as an advantage over most people is something that you ha- know is a disadvantage against this particular fighter that can mess with your head a little bit and i think yeah. that might do that and the fact that you know you have pinero here at plus 210 at this stage of the game uh we're at with odds give, give me pinero i think there's value there you there laid you out a nice case so you're telling me that eating Lunch boxes from Macy Barber is not good. Chin <laughs> improvement. Good to know. All right. Bantamweight division, the undefeated Peyton Talbot, minus 550 as he makes his UFC debut against Nick Aguiar, who is plus 410. Talbot, kid out of Nevada, coming off season seven of the Contender Series. Aguiar, former D2 wrestler out of McKendree University. Trains mm-hmm. under my friend, the great Mike Valley there in Chicago. His UFC debut, Bri, was back in January against Dan Argetta. Lost a unanimous decision. He spins it forward here. Pretty big spread, Bri. Which way are you going, kid? T- t- tough, tough line here. I mean, Peyton Talbot's an interesting dude. He's the type of dude that's gonna like if they ask him who his favorite athlete is, he'd be like, "It's me," right? Like this dude, like he's he likes himself, right? And he's good. He's very good. Coming to the contender series, striker, good cardio, good on point. Trying to work on the takedown defense. He's an educated kid. Um, you know, I'm gonna eat the number here because I think he's good. Uh, 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 how do you pronounce this? Uh, the Aguirre? Is Aguirre? Aguiar. Aguiar. There you go. Wow. Aguiar. I um, think so. I'll pull it up yeah, as you're okay. talking. Yeah. Aguiar, I think, you know, he looked good against in his debut, but he didn't show me anything in, in his fights outside you the just UFC. Froze. Did he freeze? Am I frozen up? Oops. Sorry, oh, you're back. Freeze. You're back okay. in a big way. All right. Not yeah. going to act like the Cincinnati Bengals lose at home. To right, let's let, let's not do that, John. I'm going to end this one. I'm going to go Peyton Talbot. <laughs> it's a big number. I'm going to eat the number. I think he's going to win by knockout. Oh, it's a Geary. Fuck. Thank- Nick Aguirre. All right. Nick sorry, Geary. Mike Valley. Here I talk about my friend, the ever classy Mike Valley, and I say Aguiar. Nick Aguirre plus 410. Peyton Talbot minus 550. Ken Flo, talk to me. 
Yeah, I wouldn't have had either of those pronunciations. All right. Yeah, listen, I, I think Talbot with his striking is going to be a big-time problem. Uh, I think Aguirre has done some good things on the ground. I think that's probably his best, best path to victory here. Um, and, and, of course, Aguirre trained by Mike Valley, a phenomenal coach. But uh, I think that Talbot, his size, his striking ability at this stage of the game is going to be a huge, huge advantage. So uh, give me Talbot. Cody, if you and Jay could book Mike Valley on a future episode, that would be great. That's how I air our dirty laundry. All right, next up, featured bout of lightweight. <laughs> Chase Hooper, minus 230. Jordan Levitt, plus 190. So Hooper, interesting case, boys, comes in following a win over Nick Fiore in May. It'll be his eighth UFC start already. He's 24 years of age. He's won four of those. So pretty good so far, I think, relative to expectations for Chase Hooper. Here he draws the Monkey King, Jordan Levitt. He's got four UFC wins as well, and in fewer starts, just six. That includes a stoppage of Victor Martinez, February 25th. I kind of like this matchup, Brian Petrie. Mm-hmm. We'll need a winner. Chase Hooper, the favorite, or Jordan Levitt, the dog? Great matchmaking. Uh, both these guys are, are, are similar in a way, I guess. You know, I've never picked either of these guys. I've been against them, I mean, the whole time they've been in their UFC career. Uh, Chase Hooper, the Steve Garcia fight really kind of was like, that was a really bummer to me. He got picked apart. But he rebounded well. He's a good He's a good scrambler. He's scrappy. He needs to add a little more size. I know he's a young guy and stuff, but he's working on everything. I like his self-deprecation. He's funny online. You know, he, you know, he doesn't take himself too seriously. They got Jordan Levitt. He's twerking all over people. This guy's an interesting cat, too. Um, in the clinch, Jordan Levitt will, will dominate this fight if they get to the clinch. That's how he won his last fight. Knees up the clinch. He's got that man strength that I don't know quite know if, if Chase Hooper's ever going to get at this point. But I like Cooper on the ground. I think he's kind of squirrely on the ground. And and I saw uh, Jordan Levin on the ground against Patty, and, and he looked good for a little bit and then eventually kind of just caved into some of that pressure. I think Chase Hooper um, on the ground is is shifty and quick. And uh, if Levitt keeps it there and stays there, which he likes to be on the ground, I think Chase Hooper is going to win. So for the first time ever, I'm taking Chase Hooper, and he's a pretty good number here too. I'm minus 230, so give me, uh, give me Chase Hooper. Kempfel, what's so funny? Interesting. I, I just I can't get twerking all over people out of my he head. Does. He yeah. just I mean, it does. I know. I know. Right. He loves know? doing it. Oh, it's hilarious. Okay, so yeah, I think this is interesting. I think that Chase Hooper is developing as a striker. I don't think Jordan's the best striker in the world mm-hmm. there either. So that kind of cancels each other out. Levitt, I think, hits a little harder. Um, Hooper you know, still kind of trying to develop that power and speed a little bit more with his striking, but like uses more long range weapons. So that could be a problem for, for Levitt getting on the inside. Uh, as far as takedowns wrestling, I think Levitt will be better there on the ground submission wise Hooper a little bit better. However, the control of Levitt might be a problem for Hooper. I think that's where you can kind of negate someone who's at the level of Hooper with a submission game. You shut down submissions with position. And I think that's what Levitt needs to do here. Um, and I'm willing to, to go with Levin here just because Ooh, I do right. see value. I think there's enough value for me uh, for, for Levin here at plus 190. And uh, yeah, let's go with let's go with him. Friend of the program, Big Ron Pellegrino, always talks about Ken Flo laying out a case for one guy and picking the other guy. And just so you guys know, <laughs> twice today I've tried to yeah. like get ahead of writing down Ken Flo. Yeah. Keep him guessing, baby. Keep yeah, him guessing. Always keep him guessing. <laughs> Jordan Levin, only 28 years of age, 11 and 2, 4 and 2 of the UFC. It's a big spot for him here as the underdog. If he can win this fight, Kenny, that would really uh, propel him. All right, co main event 24 year old Ecuadorian. Michael Morales, minus 270. Jake Matthews, plus 220. By the way, Ken Flo's flight booked for the World MMA Awards. 
trying to present and work together potentially out there. So Kempflow is going to be Love out it. there for a couple of days. Michael Morales minus two seventy. Jake Matthews plus two twenty. So Morales fifteen and zero. You talk about some of these young guys like Gabriel Bonfim who cannot mm-hmm. preserve the O. Not an easy thing to do and maintain in the UFC. This man has done it through three fights and against pretty good competition. Trevin Giles, Adam Fugit, most recently Max Griffin. Now I think Bry, real good test against the 18-time UFC veteran Jake Matthews. Who do you love? Michael Morales is back like just a bag of ropes. I mean, this guy is built good, right? And his UFC career before, before he came here, it was a week. His record was weak. He's kind of had to grow in the promotion, and he's done that, and he and he's blown me away. Each fight, he's looking better and better. He's big, he's physical, he's got all the tools. He can take you down if he wants. He can beat you up on the feet. And Jake Matthews, a guy I used to root for. I mean, Jake Matthews against Andre Field. What a performance. That's my guy, Jake Matthews. And then he lays kind of an egg against Selensberger, rebound it well. Jake Matthews inconsistency in the UFC. He was supposed to be the next big thing from Australia. It wasn't supposed to be Alexander Volkanovsky. Everyone was talking about Jake Matthews. And I feel like he's come short just because of inconsistency. Um, Kenny's over here being a fucking sharp, picking dogs left and right. I'm square boy here. Give me the square pick and Michael Morales. I like Michael Morales a lot uh, in this fight as well. I think he's going to get a finish. So I feel like in in a and and I'm not saying that you're doing that, but I feel like you're shortchanging Jake Matthews's career just a little bit. I might be. Right? You're right. You're right. You are right that he was a little bit anointed, but I guess I'm just a huge fan because Kenny and I met him when he was 20 yeah. years old, and that was when he made his UFC debut. So he's 29 now. He's already got 12 UFC wins. Kempflo has 12 UFC wins, by the way, if you're wondering. 18 UFC fights for Jake Matthews, so 12 and six. Kenny has a better winning percentage, obviously, but not terrible at 12 and six. Submitted Darius Flowers at UFC. Why are you laughing? Well, it's just, I, I mean, because you, well, no, you, you're the best. You're the best. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, Kenny, he was 7 and 0, 20 years of age when we called his UFC debut, and now he's 29 and. A big spot for him here against Michael Morales. Kempflo, your thoughts? Ah, uh, this one is tough for me for for those reasons that you kind of pointed out, John. You know, I'm a big fan of Morales. I think that the sky's the limit for the kid. Physically, he is very, very impressive. Um, and I don't know, he's just good all the way around, man. And and really. You know, not perfect as far as his decision making, but it's pretty dang good for a kid who's that young. I mm-hmm. certainly would have been able to, wouldn't have been able to do a lot of the things he's done at that age. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of his. However, I see a lot of value here with Matthews, and couldn't agree more. I think Matthews' consistency has been a problem: win, loss, win, loss. Um, I, I wonder how much of that has to do with injuries, um, mm-hmm. and. I think that if Jake Matthews is at his best, he can give anybody a run for their money uh, in that division. Um, I think that um, against Morales, this is where it gets interesting. Morales still early on in his career. I think Jake Matthews needs to play the role of veteran. He cannot let Morales take control of this fight and get into rhythm. If that happens, this fight is over. However, I think there's enough value and skill with Jake Matthews to be able to get it done. I need points, baby. I, I had a good last week, but Petrie's just, he, he's in the distance. I can, I can't even see his headlights. Okay. So I need some, I need some value. Uh, give me Jake Matthews here. I can't even Love have it. Jake Matthews and Nicholas Dalby competing this close together. Right. I just get them confused. <laughs> All right, Kenny is going to lead us on the main event here today. And it features, at least in my opinion, one of the biggest threats to the world champion and the world championship at present. 
Brendan Allen, Allen, minus 340. Paul Bearju, Craig, plus 270. So Brendan Allen, Kenny, I think at 27 years of age, still has a lot of developmental time ahead, but really starting to come into his own, if not fighting prime. He's 10 and 0, 10 and 2 in the UFC already. Five straight wins, three straight submissions have him on the cusp of a world title fight. First, though, he's got to get through relative divisional newcomer Paul Craig. Who do you have in the main event, Kenny Floyd? Yeah, that's right. And, and Paul Craig, I think, looked phenomenal in his last fight. It threw me off. It looked like I was looking at a completely different fighter. On the feet, that was like the first time that I've seen him actually look like a striker. Previous fights, it looked like a guy who was using his striking to be able to get the fight to the ground not like at some point, but like as soon as possible. It, it, you know, at, there's points where he looks desperate during a fight. And Paul Craig, you know, at 205 pounds, was inconsistent in his performances. Um, at 185, he just looked awesome. So that's why this one's throwing me off a little bit. However, who's the better fighter? Who has proven himself against better competition at 185 pounds at this stage of the game? Well, it's Brendan Allen. Um, I think that uh, from a submission standpoint, he does need to be careful against someone like Paul Craig. Paul Craig is that dangerous. I know Brendan Allen is a good Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, but position-wise, he's going to have to be on point. He can't leave anything anything dangling out there. Um, I, I also think he needs to be smart about getting in and getting out. He can't hang out in that tie clinch uh, for too long. He's got to be able to land those strikes and get the heck out of there. If he's able to do that, I think he wins this fight. I am picking Brendan Allen. Um, let me put two Two units on Allen as well uh, in this one. Um, I'm a little nervous because Paul Craig looked phenomenal again, like I said, in that last one. But uh, I think Brennan Allen is someone who can fight for the belt in the future. So give me Allen. Yeah, what a stoppage yeah. win for Paul Berju Craig, rep in Scotland, in stopping Andre Muniz in his divisional debut. But now stepping into a main event and a pretty big underdog here, Brian Petrie will need a selection. I'm going to go back for just a second. I do. I do not want to disrespect Jake Matthews. Maybe I was, I did shortchange him a little bit. I just mean he needs to maybe get one signature win, which he doesn't have yet. That's all I'm saying. Fair. He's fell, Fair. A couple, there's a couple times he fell short. I, I am a huge fan of Jake Matthews. So I didn't want to be disrespectful to him because I was keeping it a little short anyway, to the main event. Um, Paul Craig looked fin- fantastic at 185. He fought under Menez is a great matchup for him. Physically, he looked great, but his stand up is just so bothersome to me. It's, I mean, he's long, he's got the weapons. It's just, so herky-jerky, and sometimes that works for guys, but there's not really any power there. He has power when he gets on top and he ground and pounds you, but on the feet, there's just no real power there. And Brendan Allen, here's a guy I've doubted his whole career, basically, right? You know, he fought against Strickland loss. He fought against Mike High, Chris Curtis loss, and all he does is just go out and win. He's a confident young man. He beat Munez as well. Um, and what I like about Brendan Allen is he likes to – he's so confident – and he's, he's, you know, he walks into a room and he thinks he's the big dick swinging in the room, which I love because that's what you need to be right now. And he he wants to fight. He's calling guys out that maybe aren't close to him yet in the rankings, but he goes, fuck it. No one fight him. I'll fight him. I love that about this young man. And what I like about him is his striking sets up his grappling. And that's what he did with Munez. He didn't rush it to the ground. He beat him up on the feet, took him to the ground and submitted him, which no one saw. Paul Craig's been submitted before in the third round against Paul. Um, uh, excuse me, Jimmy Croup by Kimura. He does a ton of grappling uh, stuff. So I see Brendan Allen being the guy that goes, you know what? I'm going to beat up Paul Craig on the feet. I'm going to take him down and submit him. 
That's what I want to do. I love Brendan Allen in this spot. I'm all in on Brendan Allen. That's wordplay, boys. And give me five units on Brendan wow. Allen. This is a bet. I had, a, I had one of my better weekends last week, uh, and I've already took most of the winnings and put it on Brendan Allen. This isn't just a five-unit play for the show. This is a five-unit play in real life. Um, I love Brendan Allen in this spot. I'm going to play him a little bit as well by finish. I think he's either going to TKO him or submit him. More likely TKO, but there could be a club and sub in there as well. Uh, I'm all in, baby. I'm, I may Seven. have to text the group chat for uh, an additional three units at some point. So, okay, uh, yeah, do, it. do it. Yeah. Do it. $1,700 on Brendan Allen for Brian Petrie to win 500. And yeah, I mean, I think too, in terms of contention, you have this era of Marvin Vittori's and Jared Cannoneers. Mm-hmm. Brendan Allen is a real issue on the ground for mm-hmm. a division that has a lot of decorated strikers. Brian, anything else on the board before we let you fly, sir? Uh, no, that, that was it. I kind of focused more, most, uh, mostly on the main card. No prelim picks. You guys are the best. John, you called a great show on Saturday. It was phenomenal. And uh, yeah, you guys are awesome. PFL starting back up soon. I'm ready for it, boys. Let's do it. Thank you, buddy. Let's best go. to your wife, Erica, on the men from surgery yes, as thank well. You. We'll talk Appreciate uh, that. in the not-too-distant future. Okay, cool. brother? See you, boys. All right, there he is, Brian Petrie, with us for the main event challenge. All right, last thing. You may have seen some of this honey badger stuff during the week just to provide a little bit of clarity. And this is all in good fun, of course. So we're in the fighter meeting, and Tom Aspinall is talking about how he has a lot of fear and nerves, but he fights through that in the best of ways, how he's much better in the fight than he is in the gym, which I think is the case for a lot of fighters. We hear about a lot of gym warriors that are great, who don't necessarily translate it to the octagon with the bright lights. Tom Aspinall is the opposite of that. And I guess, I don't know, Kenny, you're a much more well-read guy than me, but I guess like the lion is maybe an apex predator in a similar way that the honey badger is, like they don't have obvious predators. I don't know. But honey badgers are so fearful that they do pretty well out in combat. So Daniel Cormier in our fighter meeting mentioned the honey badger is this type of animal. So I'm hosting the press conference for Dana White and Tom Aspinall says, John, what was that honey badger thing? So I explain it to Tom, at which time he says at the press conference, yeah, I'm the honey badger moving forward. So next morning at the morning way in the official way in, but not attended by fans or anything. I say 261.6 pounds, the official weight for the honey badger, Tom Aspinall. <laughs> And he looks over, kind of smirks, and I still don't know to this point if he's uh, didn't lie. I think he's totally fine with it uh, in terms of me just saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek. I never would have gone on stage at the ceremonials and introduced him that way. So for purposes of clarity, because I know TNT Sports is leaning into it a little bit, so it's not his nickname. He does not want that as a nickname. But in reference, yes, he is Honey Badger-like, albeit not the Honey Badger moving forward. I love it. That's awesome. It's funny. Earlier in the week, I posted a video and there were three leopards. I I think they might have been a little bit younger, but the leopards, like I think pound for pound are the strongest and best apex predator out of the giant cats. So you had three leopards, right? That were trying to go after a honey badger in the wild. Three. They got a hold of the neck. Like at least two of them got a hold of the honey badger at some point. They let go. The honey badger goes right after that leopard. And the other leopard gets it. He, he gets out and goes right after the other leopard. The leopards didn't know what the heck to do. They're like, uh, what do I do against this damn thing? Yeah. And again, the legend of the honey badger continues. So I, I love I yeah. love the analogy, man. That's awesome. Those leopards getting fucking aspinalled by the goddamn yeah. honey badger. <laughs> 
All right, we got to get on out of here. Thank you to our guest, the greatest living American, Brian Stan. And again, at John underscore Anik, if you can find a greater living American, there's probably somebody out there. For now, it's Brian Stan. Thanks to him. Thanks to Ray Longo. Thanks to Brian Petrie, our great producer, Cody Merrow, who was with us helping out in New York City, helping out with Remember the Show on UFC Fight Pass. We thank him eternally, extendedly for all of his efforts on the show and the brand's behalf. Don't forget, johnannick.com is now live. All of the new designs are up. Plenty more where that came from as well. And you can still find, yeah, Ken Flo's wearing our Select Your Fighter shirt right now. You can still find the One More Sleep merchandise at millions.co. But rest assured, we are working on new designs for that, and it will all migrate to johnannick.com. Don't forget, Annick Squared, live with NFL Picks for Week 11 right here on the DraftKings YouTube channel and Annick and Florian Podcast YouTube channel as well. KennyFlorianMartialArts.com is live and Argus Integrated Defense again on Instagram. It's almost as good a follow as at Nate Diaz. With that, for Ken Flom, John Anik, we will talk to you next week as we recap Brandon Allen and Paul Craig. Until then, tell your friends you love our podcast and maybe they'll like it and subscribe as well. Thank you all for the support. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, go will I'm a stutter verse, I break at least three commandments Kinda like Pluto because I never plan it I'm outlandish in the way that make the patches look Like they own ranches, it's the art of war Your blood's the only color on the canvas And I don't mean it like a thug sense of how you can get got Fuck being gangsta, I'm hip-hop You got it every time you walk in the label The A&R's like not it, immune to your shit Cause I circle, circle, dot, dotted Body heat is a toxic, we got a beat, I don't got it Speak competency, start to think psychically Make the speakers speak elitistly, off the high horse Make an ass of the views, your DJ must not know the alphabet For getting his cues, my favorite DJ got those Six extra L's to abuse Esoteric John P And I'm the new kid school I'm Raider Ellis Nice to meet you Show busting my styles Egocentric Ego tripping with Frequent fly smiles DJ wants to get in the bird He gets in the bird And bird Takes the shot He's You wanna sit it on us We got commandos on us Now's a good time to remember Where the story of tequila started In 1795 The first tequila distillery Was opened by the Cuervo family And 229 years later Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.